Welcome to the Psycho Vertical Podcast. It's me again, Andy Kirkpatrick. Um, where am I today? I'm somewhere equally as exotic as a. <laughs> I'm, usually, I'm, I'm trying to be more like BBC, so I keep going out to places. So I'm actually, but I'm actually, I'm just in my shed, so it's not that, it's not that exciting. Um, it's a Saturday, Saturday afternoon. My son is asleep in bed having his nap is my youngest son who's not two yet and i'm putting on my rubber gloves can you tell what i'm doing i'm putting on my 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 medi hands my latex gloves uh i'm actually uh, i'm actually fiddling with a <laughs> with an outboard motor um i'm like a real man uh what am i doing basically it won't it won't um it wouldn't go into reverse properly and the reason was was when i changed the impeller which is the little bit of the inside that spins around that circulates the water through the engine so it doesn't explode i didn't put it didn't put the uh the connector back on properly so I've, so I've, so i'm just doing that at the moment which is a bit of a it's a bit of a bit of a fiddly fiddly job that's why i probably didn't put it on properly the first time around um so yeah so i thought as i, was, I would kill two birds with one stone i'd do that <laughs> i'd do this do my podcast and i'd do this at the same time what else i need to do uh i've been like servicing this engine for ages i've like slowly been taking it all apart that's my that's my uh my weights and, and uh, nearby like Yamaha, Yamaha, very good. They're very, uh, they're great. They've got, they have really good instructions, like their old instruction manuals. I wondered if, I was like wondering if like Petzl or somebody, if they'd ever, if that kind of ins- inspired them for their kind of instruction manuals, because they're very, very similar. Sort of like black, the kind of, the kind of instruction manuals that you can use, even if you don't speak English or or Japanese or something. So you can imagine someone in you know middle of nowhere being able to repair something. Yeah that's what that's the problem I can see now. So when it's in reverse. Oh, that's it. So um what else I need to do to this engine or something else? A basic a base did I have already told this story. Maybe yeah I told this story last time anyway. But I've still not still not mended it. I was in the middle of a lake. So the lake the lake near here it's called a Corrib. It's a, it's, um, I think it's like one of the, it's like one of the biggest lakes in, in these islands, these islands, so including, including the UK. And uh, on one end, on one end, there's like some huge, some quite, quite big mountains. Like the highest mountain, if we call it, if we call this the British Isles of England, Wales, Scotland, Ireland, the British Isles and like England is Great Britain because it's the biggest of the of the islands not because it's great and uh, uh, so the highest mountain in the great in the British Isles is actually an island not in not in Scotland so which is a, which is a really good which is actually really a really a great mountain down in Kerry highly recommend people go and climb it there's a very kind of loose kind of like almost like climbing in the rockies kind of ridge that goes up it which is uh, howling ridge which is like if you could find a, 
if you can find a good hold on it, you, you might as well take it home with you because that's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's probably worth something. And I, did, I remember did that with Vanessa when she was pregnant with, with Noah. And I think she was probably like seven months pregnant. So she was like really pregnant. And when you get, when you get to the top, there's like a, you basically top out almost right at the very top of the mountain. And there's a big, there's a big sign that says, you know, like, danger of death beyond this point. There's all these like people like eating their sandwiches and then this like <laughs> this guy comes up and then behind him like waddles this woman with a like pregnant woman. It was quite funny at the time. So so yeah, so that's um anyway, so the corrobe, it's at the bottom, you've got this it's kind of weird. On one side you've got you've got limestone, and on the other side you've got granite. So it's like some kind of big geological fault which which filled up with water at some some point. And at the other end you've got the you got the the Kunamara kind of mountains, which which some of them are the there's a horseshoe there. Some amazing amazing walks up there that no one ever no one ever goes there. It's a like completely empty place. So it's it's where, where all the brigands and people used to used to live. Like the British built like loads of like roads and things to sort of carve it up, so it's easy to get the army around and chase after those like those brigands. So anyway, but the wind when the wind. Right behind that is, a, is the Atlantic Ocean, so the wind comes in, goes up on top of the mountains and then drops down onto the Corrib. And the Corrib is like a series of, of lakes and uh, with like, you know, sort of joining together. So it's because they narrow at the end. If you know what, do you know what th the throw is? Is it throw? Yeah, so, the, so the, you get the wave and the wave like builds up to a certain height. And uh, when it gets towards the end of the lake, the wavelength um, is, would it be shortened or would it get bigger or smaller? I'm not really sure. Anyway, the wavelength basically, because it gets narrower, the waves like increase in height. So you, you kind of like quite small waves at one end and at the other end, the uh, it's the really big. So, so anyway, so lots, lots of people, <laughs> lots of people die on the coral because it's, uh, people go out in their, in their little boats and it's nice weather and then it, then it sort of, you know, goes like really grim and uh, they, they drown. And there's loads of, there's loads of rocks under the water, so it's, 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 well that, it's fairly deep, but the, the first person to um, survey it was Captain Blythe of Mution, oh no, yeah, Captain Blythe, Mution the Bounty fame, and he came over to Ireland, that was his, that was his job, so um, doing that kind of job, which is kind of interesting, no, damn, that should be neutral, Not, yeah, I can't quite get this to go into reverse, um, uh, yeah, so that's uh, what was my point? Oh yeah, so we were, I think I told this last time, the last podcast. We were we were out on the lake and we managed to manage to um, the the engine stopped working, like right in the middle of the lake, and we had to start rowing. Well, Vanessa rowed. She's although <laughs> she's like massively, she's like pregnant. She she kind of likes that kind of thing. So I just like sat there watched. Very modern, very modern kind of thing. I, was, I listened to a, a, a podcast recently and they were saying about that men have never been, there's never been a point where men have been so, um, uh, there's been so many men not in the job, the business of working, uh, job market. And a lot of them are, a lot of them are down as being disabled and a lot of them are, um, you know, a lot of them just never, never had a job. Like loads of young people never had a job, and they were like looking at the 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 stats, and a lot of these people watch on average about two thousand hours of screen time a year, which is the same as having 
Same as having a, a full-time job, so, so yeah, why, why that is, it's kind of interesting, interesting thing. So, that's right, let me get this, this thing back in again. Um, yeah, I was going to, I was going to, I was going to tell you, I was going to, that was leading up to something, but I've got it was now. Um, so yeah, uh, so yeah, so I, I was going to, I think one thing I was going to talk about was I still got all these stupid questions. Um, I've got these questions to, to answer, so I'm going to answer one of those today. Actually, that's it, that's it. I get, like, I think one, like, ages and ages ago, I, I did this, I, uh, wrote some article, and it was about going back to, this was like a long time ago, probably like 2000 and, 2014 maybe, like I went back to Hull, like where I grew up, and it was a friend of mine from Hull, he was doing a degree when I was living in Hull, and I called John Doran, and he went off, he went off, became like a journalist, worked for, you know, magazines and stuff, and he ended up starting, uh, the what was it called that music that music website that's it's got the same title as the drug out of children of men uh the something the uh can't remember what it's called anyway <laughs> it's quite a it's quite a popular music website uh john doran is called john doran is called anyway the 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 something anyway is is good um, and uh, so I'd, I'd sort of bumped into John like, over the years and actually went climbing with him um, one time and, he's, and he actually, end, actually ended up being part of a book. He wrote like a, like a autobiography and there's like a whole chapter about me and him going climbing and like at the time he was like a, he was basically like a drug addict. He was, he was definitely an alcoholic and he was, he was also like a drug addict, like he's from Liverpool. So he, um, for some reason, for some reason, we we're going to go climbing. Well, he wanted to go climbing. I think it was part of him trying to stop being a drug addict. And he was like a journalist in L living in London. So it was kind of, it's kind of a, you know, it's a, it's a, you're not going to manage to do it, doing that kind of thing. So anyway, we, we, went, we went to Wales and we did, um, we decided to go and do, what was it? Something... It was something like, so, like, oh, but basically, basically a scramble. Maybe it was like Groove Durette or something, but I, I'm looking back on it, I think that might have been too hard. No, I, remember, I think it, maybe it was Groove Durette. And he was like, he was like a total, he was like in a total, uh, you know, he was just like, a, I don't know if you've ever been climbing with a drug addict, um, but he was just, uh, just a total mess, do you know what I mean? And it was like quite a warm day, and we started walking up to Groove Durette, and he had this like woolly hat on, and uh, I'm like, like, I'm like, John, like, why are you wearing that woolly hat? And he's like, oh, because when, whenever I have like really bad, uh, you know, if you ever take like acid or some really bad drugs, I always know that if I've got this hat on, I'm going to be okay. <laughs> so that, that's why I had his hat on. So we, um, I remember there was a bit where there was a bit where there's like a dead sheep as you were like walking up the trail. So, yeah, if you ever done Groove Direct, like kind of walk up to the side of Triffin then you kind of traverse around this sort of ledge thing this path and as, as we're walking along there was like a dead sheep just like there on the on the side of the path and I was like oh John don't look down there there's like a dead body 
<laughs> he actually thought there was a dead body. Like, you really thought like that was the kind of how it, how extreme it was climbing Triffin. Um, so he was. <laughs> so I, I carried on walking for another ten minutes. And when I looked back, he still had like one hand like covering half his face. So he couldn't see this dead body. So we got we got to the bottom of the route, and I think he like did he drop the belay plate straight away or something. It was one of those, you know when you go from, often when you go climbing, people who are climbers. You're just kind of soloing. You're like a mountain guy, basically. You're just kind of soloing along with like a rope, and he's kind of, you know, just to bring them up afterwards. So I was like climbing. I climbed, uh, kind of climbed up, and yeah, he was just a, he was just a state. Do you know what I mean? You, I think that's often the thing. You often, when you're a climber, you often don't realise how hard climbing is for people who aren't who aren't climbers. You know, just just the basic basic kind of stuff like even stuff I like like oh there's a crack there and they're like what's a crack you know oh, there's a there's a foot all there and like what's a foot you know they get they get really uh they kind of get really freaked out and I think the, the crux on there is it like the chessboard or something like that so I'm just moving my my engine around I think called the got to change the oil now there's a thing like called the chessboard and uh and somehow we managed to do that, which is quite, which is pretty impressive. Right, let's get down on my hands and knees. So there it is. I never changed the oil. I never changed the oil on anything before. Neat. Um. Yeah. So we we managed. We managed. Actually, was three of us. We had somebody else with us as well. Anyway, eventually, you know, he's like so hot. We were sort of sweaty and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, but we eventually we get to the top of the we get to the top of the top of Triffin, and there's all these like people, you know, people like milling around. And you could just tell he was just, um, you know, just like totally freaked out. But at the same time, he was like massively relieved. He's like, oh my, you know, I've made it. You know, I've made it to the top, and uh, you know, it was like a big, big deal for him really. And then he suddenly like looked around. He was like. How are we going to get back down again? He hadn't really thought about that. So, so the getting down was uh, he basically went down the whole way, like on his ass, like sitting on his ass, all the way down the side of Triffin. Um, you know, it was like pretty, it was pretty embarrassing for everybody, for everybody, everybody concerned. But by and by the time we went down to the road, like his uh, his he didn't have any. Uh, he basically just, basically just like his naked ass, like his he like worn his trousers all the way to there was nothing left of them so uh anyway but but anyway so john wrote this john wrote this book what's it called it's called happy lad or something like that it's supposed to be good it's supposed to be like a good it's supposed to be good no, i've not read it but it's supposed to be a good book so i'm now trying to do my engine there vanessa, vanessa made like some engine stand out of, out of wood i'm never quite sure it's gonna it's, it's up to the job Right, so I'm going to drain the oil out of my engine, out of the gearbox. Um, yeah, so he wrote, he wrote this book, and we came, I came over to uh, came over to Hull, and it was like his uh, the oh, what's that? What's his website called? It's not the Revenant. It's something like that. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so I came over to Hull, and he. Uh, 
and he did he had like some Norwegian guy he was like famous in a band and I think he was going to do some he, re he read some sort of chapters out of his book and uh, they had to play some music and then me and him I don't know I don't know why but me and him had like a little chat about stuff and it was uh it was pretty good anyway but, but while we were there yeah, while we were there, the this guy came up, John the Goon. <laughs> so I do apologise, John, if you're listening to this. Yeah, we used to call him John the Goon, and so his name's John. And uh, I actually went to school with John the Goon. I remember him being at school. It's kind of weird because you kind of grow, you go to school and you have all these people you kind of know from school, but you're not really friends with any of them. But then when you kind of leave school, you kind of end up with a different sort of set of people and none of them were from your past. And then one day you kind of bump into one of them. It's a bit like being a, like a, like a spy or someone pretending to be someone else. And then you meet someone who knew who you actually were or are and, and vice versa. So, yeah, so, so John the Goon was there and yeah, so when I was when I was at school, I always I always thought of John the Goon as being one of those like swatty kids. Like he was a, he always seemed like a smart a smart kid, and I wasn't <laughs> I wasn't a smart kid. And God, I can't get that open. Um, and uh, yeah, so I I always you always imagine someone like that they're going to go off to like university or or whatever. Like I'd love to. I'd love to know how many people actually went to university from, from that kind of year at school. Because my sister was in another school, which when she when she got her O levels, whatever, it was the lowest performing school in the entire in the, in the entire UK. And they, they for some reason they, ran, they, they decided to to uh, amalgamate these two really terrible schools into one school, into one really massive shit school instead of two small shit schools. And then, then eventually they just like knocked that school, knocked the whole school down. Hopefully with all the kids in as well and the teachers. So anyway, so so but not I'd not seen I'd not seen John John the Goon. Um, I don't know why we called him John the Goon. It was just one. It's like I didn't call him John the Goon. It's just that when I kind of met him again when I was a kid, you know, when I was like eighteen or something, you know, people called him John the Goon. All the because he was like all the people we hung out hung out with were all students basically so me and john the goon were not students we were like we were on the dole and uh some luckily we managed to befriend all these students and realize that although we'd, we weren't capable of getting to university uh we we're probably just as you know just as hard working as these people who were in university these these were in the this was in the times when people didn't pay for a degree you just went um uh you just went to went and did a degree and the and the state paid for it which, uh, looking back on it, was was probably a bad idea because, you know, none of them seemed to really care <laughs> care about the fact that someone was paying their, you know, them to have a, you know, to get a degree or whatever. And those were the days when people were like, oh, a degree's a degree, where now it's not. It's just like a degree. It's just like a, a form of debt, <laughs> probably. So, yeah. So anyway, so so John the Goon was there, having not seen him for maybe like 20 years or something <coughs> and uh so i started talking to him and uh, he kind of looked exactly the same like maybe i looked exactly the same but i wasn't i definitely wasn't the same person like when i when i knew got john i was like 
living in a living in a hole where like in a, in a squat like signing on every two weeks and that was about that was the kind of my lot really and anyway he told me that he was uh basically had been unemployed like really not had a job after all, all those years when you know uh he was still kind of unemployed and he was on some kind of you know you, you kind of get off the you kind of get off the employment register or the list of people who are unemployed by sort of faking you've got some illness they'll, they'll say you've got some disability and they'll just take you off the figures and say you're disabled and uh or they'll you know this tax credit so so john this, this may be unfair saying this but my impression was john had a business selling like nuts and bolts on ebay or something and it probably wasn't making any money but the the government would just pay you the difference so you had like a living wage and the government paid it through <laughs> through tax credits or something so uh um so did i so maybe maybe I may I know, but for some reason maybe I maybe I wrote about this at the time, but but I, you know you just you you best not worrying too much about people, uh, you know thinking, you know reading what you write or, you know you you, you don't don't think like that because you never do anything. But about a year ago I was on like a podcast, uh, the uh, what's it called unconventional soldier podcast. And I kind of, for some reason, that came up about John. But I didn't mention John's name. But I, I doubt anybody would know if you said a guy called John who lives in Hull. I don't even know who it was. Anyway, so but I mentioned, I mentioned, oh, I, I knew this guy. And, you know, he's like basically never had a job in his entire life. And isn't that terrible? You know, it's because it's, it, it's not, it's, I'm not being judge, judgmental about John. I'm being, I'm just saying that's, that's a really, like maybe he's been doing amazing stuff. And he's not had a job, you know. Maybe he's been working for Amnesty International or or something like that, uh, making dream catchers or something for like orphanages. I don't really know what what's been going on, but it doesn't really matter because it's just uh, for me. It like represents quite a lot of, you know. You see it, you see it all all over the place. That kind of thing, like a waste of someone's potential and human capital and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, so I kind of mentioned this as a throwaway comment on this podcast and. A few few weeks later, I had the, I had an email from John. So I'd not not talked to John since like 2014. and like rightly so, he was like he was fucked off. You know, he's like, you don't know me. You know, don't, you don't know my circumstances, and and all that kind of stuff. And like generally, what I do in that situation is just get really defensive. And <laughs> and stuff like that stuff like that like i just um you know uh I, I, you know i really you really should own up to it but it's best not it's best not to own up to anything i don't think because you'll only regret it later on you just got to think you know where you've just got to, like stick by your guns of the pet you look you know you you know it seemed like the right thing to do at the time to exploit someone's life for, for some meaningless anecdote or blog or whatever but uh and you know it doesn't really as long as you don't identify the person really it's only that only they can be offended but uh, but yeah so but instead of uh instead of saying i'm really sorry uh, i'll i'll go and remove um the offending thing and i'll get them to take the podcast down or edit that thing out like you haven't got time for all that bollocks so so i basically told him the truth i was like when i when i first met when i first knew you at school you were like one of the squatty kids like you were a kid 
he was intelligent and he seemed to work hard and he seemed to be going somewhere. And, uh, you know, so when I met you all those years later and you're still in the same situation, still in Hull and everything else, it was the fact that I actually expected more from you than I probably did from myself. That was what was shocking. There was loads of people. There's a, you know, someone at my mum's funeral, I found out, you know, someone I went, you know, my best, basically one of my best friends at school, you know, ended up like a, a drug addict and, uh, and all that entails. And, uh, but it's not, it wasn't really surprising to me to be told that. Sorry, uh, if you're listening, I won't mention your name. Uh, but you know, it's, it's, some people just know it's not that surprising really. Um, but with, with John, it was surprising. And uh, so I kind of, I, mean, I don't know if I apologized, but um, I tried to, like sometimes, you, sometimes you do need, you know, you do need someone to, to be honest to you. Like this is my, instead of just being like, oh, I'm very, very sorry. I, uh, you know, I shouldn't have said that, blah, blah. It's like, no, fucking hell, I should have said that. Like I should have, should have said it to you at the time maybe, cause that, now you've lost another, you know, a lot of time. And um, you kind of do need people who are, who are like assholes in your life. Uh, def definitely if you're, if you're writing, it's always the people who are the most critical, the people who you feel like standing, you know, standing behind, you know, standing, uh, you know, behind you all the time. Who, not, not standing behind you, but they're literally standing behind you to like whack you over the head. Um, you know, like that's not good enough. You know, you're useless. You know, you'll never amount to anything. It's like, I'll show you. And uh, there's that, is it Ed Stafford? So it's starting to, I don't hear that rain. It's really starting to rain outside. <laughs> it's like the weather's like mental here. Anyway, so Ed Stafford, he once went to, he went to, he wanted to walk down the length of the Amazon from the, from the mountains all the way to the sea. And he eventually did it. I think it took him like two or three years. And he said at the beginning, like, no one believed he could do it. Like everyone he talked to, like every expert, they said like, said, oh no, it's, an, it's, in, it's impossible. Oh my God. He said it's, he said it's in, maybe we have to stop recording this to like wait for this, this rain to go. They said it's impossible. And he said, uh, the only people who really believed in me were my mum and dad. And he said, the problem was they, they didn't know what the fuck they were talking about. So, yeah, so you know, it is a, it's, a, it's a difficult thing to, to listen to uh, criticism or, you know, so, some people just don't want you to be successful. And some people kind of know you well enough to know that you won't be successful. But no one knows you as, you know, no one knows who you really are deep, deep down and what drives you. Like someone saying that you'll always be unsuccessful is, for some people, it's enough to make them, you know, a success where other people, it's like, oh, fair enough, I always thought I was going to be shit. God, is this, can this get any worse, this weather? You have like very impressive hailstones today. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Ireland. This might it might calm it might calm down. <laughs> the Atlantic Ocean is literally about 200 meters from my house. So this is a this is like a proper wall coming off the Atlantic Ocean. Right, I'm going to go back. I'm going to get back onto my hands and knees and try and undo this screw. Um, 
I don't have to go inside. screw off another screw off where's the other screw right so um I think it's died down great radio oh yeah I've got the screws coming off so now hopefully the, oh, there it is. There's the oil coming out of my gearbox. And the gear thing. Looks like an advert for Castrol. It's very impressive. Yeah, this morning it was like really hammering. It had like huge hailstones. It's funny, do people always go on, always, always go on about this uh, extreme weather events and all that kind of stuff. Like, I think one reason why I'm always kind of very skeptical about that is like when you travel around places if you like look around at things you often see you know like you know his, historical bad weather events and you know famines and uh, you know that kind of stuff they're they basically happen all the time and always always have them god you can imagine like living in Ireland it's like in the past. <laughs> they, I think the Rome, the, the, the Rome was not called Island like Ambrosia or something because they said that when they arrived here, it felt, it felt like everyone was asleep. I think they're probably just all indoors. I think they made, I think they, you've, the clothing was probably very similar to like the Scots in that they, you know, they would have like, like woolen, like a woolen blanket, like a, like a, not like a kilt, but like a thing that you could you could wrap around you in loads, loads of different ways. It'd be like kind of ideal for this kind of uh, this kind of weather. It's it's really weird that there's no real like indigenous clothing for this type for this. Oh my god, it's like it's mental. I can see some I can see some uh, brighter skies. It might might calm down. <laughs> you need a good roof around here, that's for sure. This would be a really good place there to test um, test clothing, test waterproof clothing. Like I used to be like a Patagonia clothing tester, so I used to get like a jacket or some trousers, and it'd be like two different materials like sewn together, so you'd have one green leg and one black leg and various things. So you'd always like walk around looking like you were a, a clown or somebody. Um, but you, yeah, you just you got you definitely need to live in the right the right kind of the right kind of location for for testing testing clothing. Like if you live in Utah or somewhere, it's probably Colorado. Colorado, it's not not ideal. So yeah, better get on. What was I going to talk about? Actually, it was interesting about not wanting to change things. Like I recently. Um, uh, Cody, this guy who'd recently like committed suicide, he was like an Instagram, an Instagram person. You, I used to watch, you know, you watch his things on Instagram about climbing techniques. Like he, he committed suicide, and uh, I wrote like a little tiny, a tiny little thing, and uh, stuck it on my 
my website and on Instagram and stuff. And it was the 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 basic basically it was something that came about because because my mum dying as well is that like when someone when someone dies like suddenly you don't get you don't get the the opportunity to say all the things that you wanted to say or to say sorry or to uh, you know all, all that kind of stuff and uh, so but so when you commit suicide it's you know like if you just die suddenly it's not your fault it's just just the way it is. And my mum died like a blood clot. Is you, uh, it does. It's not really your fault. But if you commit suicide, it's like I wrote. I wrote it was a little bit like a fuck you, really. It's like a fuck, a fuck you to life is a fuck you to the people who, who care about you because you're not giving them like an opportunity a, a to say, to say what they want to say before the, you know, which is probably like don't do it or don't don't go. Um, but you know, you are you. It just leaves a lot of guilt. Everyone who's left behind. And so I had someone email me and he said uh, that he thought it was unfair to say the word um, fuck you, like it was disrespectful maybe to, 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 his, uh, to his memory that he would be thinking like that. But again, like as, as normal, I was just defensive. <laughs> and I was like, uh, well, it wasn't, it wasn't really, it wasn't, it was just like a general, I thought about people committing suicide. It wasn't, you know, I don't really know anything about his situation or whatever. So I ended, I ended up writing like a much longer thing about suicide and uh, thoughts, thoughts about suicide. Uh, it's a bit like, I wonder if it's a bit like, you know, people say, oh, you can't, um, you can't be the prime minister because you've never been poor. Or like, oh, <laughs> you know, so if someone's be the prime minister or like a president and they're like a millionaire, People like you should be a, you should be the prime minister because you've never been poor or something. Is that it's that similar thing about you can't you know you can't um, you know you can't talk about, you can't be a, a cancer specialist because you never had cancer. It's that kind of you know that that kind of thing. And I love I've never, I love never committed suicide. Uh, I've always been I've always been very interested in it. It's a very interesting sort of topic. Probably one of the more, one of the most interesting topics. People sort of self murdering themselves. So anyway, so I wrote, I, I wrote something, wrote something else, but but it didn't it didn't make me think again again about this thing about not um, deleting things, not if you're writing if you're writing maybe it's not right. Maybe I, I I have I have got a thing about not wanting to say sorry as well. I, I kind of if you ask Vanessa, you probably you know if I do something wrong, I never like I, don't, I really don't like saying sorry. Um, you know, apologising for things. It definitely is a is a, is a fault. But, but but when it comes to writing, I think it's very rare I ever I ever go back and delete something. Uh, the same with like tweets or or Instagram posts. Um, like it would be very easy to go back in time and uh, you know, if you if you like thought something was a great idea, like the invasion of Iraq or something, and you thought you were gonna, you know, you thought the W, weapons of mass destruction were a, was a big problem, then, you know, you could go back and delete all those things where you, where, you, where you were supporting those kind of things. But I think you have to kind of live with the the good things and the bad things. Um, like at the moment, I really, you know, I, f for me, this whole thing that's going on in Iran is actually exactly the same what happened in like Libya or, or uh, Syria. Um, in that it'll, it's nothing. It's nothing to do with what you think it's to do with, and it's, you know, it's much darker. It's much dark, much darker than you think. And 
but yeah, it's a, I don't know. It's almost like people do got, maybe people don't really, like someone, I listened to it, someone was saying that it's not that people don't care about what's true anymore. They don't even care that they don't care, <laughs> which is, which is, because uh, it was about the, um, you know, they said they found all these, you know, a thousand uh, children's bodies in, um, you know, in uh, Native American, Native, you know, First Nation schools and things in Canada. And uh, it was like, you know, a huge thing. And, you know, churches got burnt down and everything else. It turns out that never happened. They never found any bodies. But we just, uh, it just created this, um, this mass kind of psychosis. And, you know, but people just kind of move on. It's kind of, it's kind of very, it's very weird. What's my point? I don't have a point. But I think, I guess it's just, just do what you do and just stand by it. And if you were, if you were a complete asshole for saying something or doing something, or if you were right, you know, you, you should treat both things. You know, you probably, you're, you're right. You're as lucky, you're as lucky, or you're unlucky to be as wrong as you are. And you're probably lucky to be as right as you are about things. So, and if you're always, if you're too afraid, if you're afraid to be, un, if you're afraid to be wrong about things, then you probably never do anything at all. So. Got the rain's coming back. We had like a brief, like it right around here when someone says, "Oh, the weather's nice." The weather's nice. They literally mean like right now, right in this minute, the weather's nice. Like we had a little bit of nice, nice weather there. But it was only, it was only a soft rain, and you know, you'd probably be drying quicker than you got wet if you went went out walking in it. So, so yes. Yeah, so what? So I was gonna. Someone, someone asked the question. Back to the, back to the. Uh, the equipment thing. Um, someone asked a question. It was basically about these like single, single skin mountain tents. Like in the past, it'd be like a Bibla tent or a Black Diamond tent, and now you've got MSR tents. And I think Decathlon, Decathlon make one. There's that other company. I can't even know how to pronounce it. Uh, mountain Hardware make one. And the person was was using it uh, in uh, in the Alps, and they just basically got like piss wet through. Um, so it was basically um so so my so this one of my kind of thoughts on thoughts on it how you stop you know how you deal with condensation and everything else so the i wrote like a i think if you ever look up if you try and google um the msr something you know the msr mountain tent single skin mountain tent what it's called now and it's called something if you google that with my name you'll find it like a long article i wrote which covers it has lots of advice about how to how to deal with that kind of thing but on the on the subject of of condensation you you're always you're always going to get condensation um, you're always going to get condensation like in any tent but sometimes you you're not quite you're not as aware of it because like a generally a, a two layer tent like the inner tent the material is actually uh it's generally kind of uh, absorbs moisture where the out, the outside of the tent it's agua, agua, aquaphilic. Is that right? So when you have sex with a, uh, with the water. Anyway, so the uh, aquaphobic is the. Anyway, so the the out the outer of the tent is designed to like repel the water, and the inside of the tent is meant to, uh, you know, the inside of the tent is is meant to, you know, uh, absorb the water. Really, like you may you may have some sort of DWR on it, but really it's there to. To take take that moisture and then kind of spread it all over the place, spread it all over the inner tent, and then the the draft through the tent, like the tent has to have some kind of ventilation, that's just going to pick up, 
you know, the bo your body heat, the sun shining through the fly sheet, all that kind of stuff. That's going to um, that's going to take that moisture off, and it's going to you'll you'll get the impression that the inside of your tent is dry, where really it's just uh, it is wet, but it's wet to, to a degree where you can't really tell really. Um, and uh, so yeah, so so that's you know like a, that's how a double tent kind of tends to work, and that's why like a a double a double layer tent with you know well ventilated you know a good design you've got plenty of ventilation is um, much more comfortable to live in if you're going to live live in a tent for a long time and that's why if you have a tent with like snow valances or whatever and you start oh, you pile loads of snow around your tent and stop any kind of airflow that's where you're going to get you know like more, more problems with with a lot more condensation that's why like winter camping you you have to you have a lot more problems with condensation uh and and i guess also you the like in the winter if it's below freezing is when that moisture comes out of your mouth or comes out of your travels through your sleeping bag and goes up in and hits the 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 fabric it's probably more likely to condense rather than to be absorbed by the fabric and that you'll just get you know like a micro you know a millimeter you know the ice will, will will keep condensing until you end up with like ice on the inside of your tent and some of it might travel through but probably not so yeah that's why you get like icy icy tents so if you've got like a double if you've got like a single tent uh like the the in, the inner the inside the inside the, the 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 fabric on the tent is hydrophobic so it doesn't really want to absorb it won't absorb any water so any moisture that hits it it's just going to sort of build up and build up and build up until you end up with like um you know like drops of water and when the when the, you know when the drop of water is heavy enough or when the tent's like shaking in the rear in the in the wind then you'll just get like a the water will either dribble down the sides of the poles or it will um you know it's gonna it's gonna like come down as like a mist on top of you and if it's if it's freezing then you'll just end up like a like a, a snow shower that's constantly constantly coming down so um so most of most of the mountain tents will have some sort of through floor system where there's like a little zip at the bot at the back of the tent and then there's a zip at the front zip at the front of the tent or you can leave you know you can leave the front of the tent open a little bit a little bit more um like tents uh, but, but like it, uh, often it's quite high it's, you know unless the weather's like unless, unless the weather's amazing You'll often have all the all events kind of uh, closed up because you because it's like really windy or something. The wind will just come like, come into the tent. Like mo a lot of them have like a some mosquito netting, like no see a netting to try and stop snow and things like directly flying in there. But it's they'll they'll it'll just kind of as the as the ice condenses on that that that's going to freeze up as well. So you won't get any any airflow in. Um, you know you can you can completely open the front of the tent. So you've got like free, so any, any, because uh, the moisture that's coming out of your body is actually warm. So, it'll, so it'll, it's always going to go upwards. It's never going to go sideways. That's why the top of the tent will be wet or icy and the sides will be generally be, uh, okay. But, um, you know, so if you, so if you can open the tent, the uh, condensation should go out the front, go out the top of the tent uh, up into the, up into the sky. Um, so tents that have a, a like a snow, what's it called? A snow valance, what's that thing called? A porch. I have like a porch on the front of the tent. A lot, a lot adds a little bit of weight to the tent 
they are like highly highly recommended because a it's good to have a porch on on any kind of tent especially like a single skin tent because if you've got a, you've got a porch then you, you don't have to um, cook inside the tent which is a you know you're just asking asking for trouble if you start like brewing up inside a tent because you, you just uh or saying that you if you um if you've got the right kind of stove like if you're using like a reactor stove or a jet boil you're probably just going to die because you're going to get like a lot of carbon monoxide um coming off the stove but uh um like a petrol stove if you if you use a petrol stove and say you run you ran it and you didn't have a you didn't have a pan on it you can actually generate so much heat uh, that you can actually sort of push all the moisture out of the tent anyway and that can that can actually work quite well you, you could you could use that if you had spare fuel if you had like a reactor stove you just run it without anything on the stove without a pan so you could always bring like a little bit extra fuel uh, just for that another like a bit more gas just just to be able to run it in, in the morning you know or, or whatever so say you were cooking and in the evening and you've and you, your tent's got to be completely sealed up you're gonna have to have a bit of air getting in anyway otherwise you'll, you'll die as well die again um you know you could run your stove a little bit longer just to try and push out that extra that extra moisture um right through the material because although it's supposed to be breathable it's you know it's like how breathable it really is is, is kind of questionable especially if it depends it's, you know you know some of them are, you know the material is just hydrophobic it's, it's you know it might be breathable but it's got it's coated in a way that's kind of repelling the moisture so the moisture's not going to go through the tent uh, unless you really kind of push it out there so uh, like that was on that was one reason apparently like why the russians they didn't really like uh, the modern a lot of the modern uh, sort of jet boil type stoves because you know they 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 had, they had a big thing about using the stove to kind of improve the the warmth inside the tent which is you know it does make a, it makes like a huge difference to 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 run a stove inside a tent um you know if, if you if you if you've not done it i'd give it i'd give it a try like if you're on if you're on like a if you're on like a big climb like a big wall or or whatever you know, even if like i expect the same as like an expedition you know when you've got when you've got your stove going you know it's really it can be like really nice because it's for the first time you might feel some sort of heat on your face and you know it, it makes a big it makes a huge difference just that just like an hour of uh in the, when you're cooking to just have that heat where if but if you've got a like a jet boils type stove you generally don't feel you don't really feel any any real warmth off it because it's too it's too efficient so that's one reason why i quite like like you know like wisp like dragon like whisper light kind of stove because uh you can, you can just generate a lot of a lot of heat that can help like dry dry your gear out and everything else like if you were going somewhere like the north like up, up to the north pole or into the arctic then the you know it's very it's almost impossible to dry all your kit so you're gonna have to use your stove to uh to dry all your kit off anyway so so that's why you'd People often carry a lot more fuel. They might almost carry like double the fuel you would carry if you were like mountaineering. Just because it creates this kind of like sauna, sauna effect inside the tent, just to really dry everything out, dry the sleeping bags out and everything. Um, whether you can do that if you're on like the side of a mountain, it's probably probably not not like not as likely. So um 
So I would say it's, it's I would say it's almost impossible. It's almost impossible to get away with um, without having tons of condensation to deal to um, you know tons of condensation. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to inject this this oil into my into my engine. Yeah, so it's impossible to it's impossible to get away get away with it really to get away with um, without getting condensation. So that's why you. That's why you kind of need a. It's kind of, that's always strange noise. That's why you kind of need a system, which is. Uh, never done this before. Can't inject all this oil into my. Yeah. God. <laughs> <laughs> Now that is a messy job. That is fucking messy. Right. So, so you need a you need a system that doesn't need um, doesn't need it doesn't it doesn't matter if it uh, gets wet and sort of damp like a so you need a like I would say like I would say like synthetic sleeping bags. Although they're a little bit heavier than a damn bag, the the difference psychologically, if you're if you're in, you know, if you're on like open bivy, open bivouacs with bivy bags, or you're in tents, and generally what you what you what you do is you carry one bivy bag and one tent, and if you're on the ledge, you know, if you can only find a small ledge, then one person sleeps in the bivy bag, one person sleeps like wrapped up in a tent like a bivy bag. And then ideally you're going to find places to put your, put your tent up and, uh, but you know, in, in either, in either situation, having a, having a, s a synthetic sleeping bag, like, like psychologically is like, a, a, like ama amazing difference that like you will, you know, if you, you like, I've done, I've done like routes where, you know, on, on the first night you wake up and your bags basically piss wet through from your bivy bag or from some some situation, and it really it really uh, it really weighs on you because you know that you know if things get if things get bad you're you're kind of you're kind of screwed you know like if you can't get down and your sleeping bag's all wet you're like what are you what are you gonna do about it it's it's very uh, yeah it's kind of it's kind of very scary um, so you know so having a you know, having a synthetic sleeping bag it is a little bit bulkier, but it makes a huge difference. Like, I'm, like I'm a really big fan of, of, I've said on here before, of like of quilts, like a, synthet a synthetic quilt, one that would go for two people. If you, you know, if you're going to be on a mountain where you know you're always going to be able to use your tent, then a two-person quilt is probably lighter overall than two down sleeping bags. And a down sleeping bag is only is only light when it's dry. Like once it starts getting wet, it's going to end up being heavier, and uh, you know it's going to be heavier than a synthetic sleeping bag, and it's not going to be warm. Like it might not be warm at all, or even a synthetic sleeping bag that's kind of very icy, it's still going to be pretty. It's still going to be almost like fifty percent, eighty percent as warm as a as a dry one. So, um, so that's something to that's something to like take into a you know take into account when deciding uh, what what kind of sleeping bag to what kind of sleeping bag you should use. 
Um, if you can't, if you don't have a synthetic sleeping bag, then there's a few things you can do. Uh, you, you've got to try and protect your your sleeping bag from the from the elements, from the from the snow and stuff. Not from the snow, from the from the ice and stuff that's going to fall on your condensation. So one way you can do that is if you lay lay stuff over the top of your sleeping bags. Like maybe you'll have a maybe you'd have a bivy bag, but I don't know. Most people don't seem to carry bivy bags the same way as you know. In in the past, people didn't really carry. I mean, if people carried like mountain tents, were probably like Americans who had like Bibler, Bibler style tents. Like I think a lot of like British climbers, they just use bivy bags because they kind of, you know, grew up climbing in the Alps, and that's kind of what you did. You didn't, you didn't use a tent on a, on an alpine mountain really. You'd use like huts, or you'd be sleeping in a bivy bag, or or you'd have like a proper, you know, proper tent. You carry a whole tent up there, and I guess like having a a normal tent. Say you know, then it would be like a quasar or something, Wild Country quasar, Terra Nova quasar. That 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 you know that's a that's the kind of tent that you could be using you know in the Himalayas or you could be using you know in Alaska or or wherever as a base camp tent or you could take it on a mountain. You know it's it's like a brilliant brilliant tent. So the so the single skin tents. I guess you don't want to have you don't want to be using a, a single skin tent in a situation where you really should have a two skin tent you know like a, a proper mountain tent that you can live in like you want a, a good mountain tent you know you'd be able to live a month in on a mountain and you'd be you'd be grand in it uh if you you know if you use it properly and you don't you know make some stupid mistakes with it and pitch it in the right place anything else then it's then it's good where you won't want to be living for a month in a in a mount in a sort of single skin tent it really is you know it's like a it's for like the mission it's like an assault an assault tent you know you want to be only in it for like as few nights as few nights as possible because there's no room there's no room to cook uh you know if you have to sit up inside it you know cross leg cross-legged you know you know you want to be in your sleeping bag you want to be cooking in your sleeping bag you don't want to be like cross-legged you know get everything like and also you don't want to you don't want to get everything out of you if you can avoid it you want to cook and then get your sleeping bags out don't be getting sleeping bags out and moving around and the snow's falling in them and and everything else it's just like a, a nightmare so that's why a porch is good because at least with a porch you can you, you know you can uh you can dig a little pit in front so you've got a bit more space to you know you can you can cook inside your sleep with when you're inside your sleeping bags you can open the porch a little bit to let to let the, the air vent through get rid of the condensation from the stove um like basic stuff just to try and avoid boiling anything you don't want to have any rolling boils because that's going to just pump all that hot water into the into the tent um and uh yeah so 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 things like laying like your waterproof jacket your waterproof trousers um like anything it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be breathable anything if you lay it over the top of your body uh over top of your sleeping bags like zipping like zipping two jackets together to make a big thing that goes over the, the top half of your body you know it does make a big difference like any condensation or snow that falls on falls down it will just fall on your jackets and it won't fall onto your sleeping bag because it falls on your sleeping bag there's a good chance it will your body temperature will like will melt it and it will like soak into your sleeping bag so you know you, you can lay like the stuff you can you just lay stuff on top of you uh on top of your sleeping bags to try and act as like a barrier 
Now, and I guess in the past people would use like a bivy bag for a similar kind of thing. But as I said, like bivy bags are almost just as, just as problematical as a, as a as not having a bivy bag. You know, you'll just have um, you'll wake up and you'll just find that there's loads of like literally it looks like you've pissed yourself. There's like loads of water in the bottom of your of your bivy bag that's been soaked up and. Uh, you know, it's best best avoid, avoid avoiding it. Like I, I I've tend I've tended to in the in the past. I've just been using uh, using like synthetic sleeping bag where it didn't, it didn't even matter if you slept outside in it. It would be you know it would be okay. You need like one with like a decent sort of shell material. And the biggest thing is having something to protect you protect your head. So you you know if you wanted to say you're sitting on a ledge, that's the bit that's the main thing you need in a in a bivy bag is the cowl that comes over you so you don't get snow coming into your sleeping bag and you can, you know, you can do stuff underneath the cowl and, uh, but yeah, but, but yeah, I tend to try and avoid using bivy bags in, uh, in tents for some reason. I, don't, I just find it's, it doesn't, it doesn't work. You really want a tent where it's, you've got this like warm period where you can dry it all out, your sleeping bag, the shell can dry out a bit. Um, like it was a nice dry atmosphere with a bit of ventilation you know, there's two of you or three people in a tent. You, you know, you, you you're probably creating enough heat to try and that that should make it livable. You don't want you don't want night after night after night things get really really bad. And like in the morning, you need to really you need to really like clean clean the uh, get all the ice out of the tent. Like you want the you want you want the tent to be as free of any kind of moisture, frozen or or otherwise. Um, before you pack it away so in the in the evening when you get up you can you know it's kind of pr pretty dry so you if you have got some dampness and it's cold then just like leave it if you know leave it a minute and the dampness will freeze and then just like whack it all out uh, having a, a tent brush is good if you've got the if you can carry the the weight of that if that's not a, if, that, if that's not a problem uh, like a little little brush a little soft brush you can buy ones that are designed for that job or you can just buy a little little tiny brush like brushing into all the corners and sorting all that out um yeah like it's it's, it's in a way it's all in a way like a a a, a mount like a single skin tent is just like a slight slightly upmarket version of a bothy bag and you know what you know what a bothy bag's like it's it's not you know it's it's not um it's not conducive to do anything apart from not dying really so so, so mountain tents, a, a similar, similar kind of thing. Um, anything else to add to the mountain tents? I, can't, I think the way the rain has now stopped. So for a second, I can run back inside, make a cup of tea. Um, yeah, but they are, but they are good. I think like a, a good mountain tent might weigh like one kilo, and a bivy bag, a very lightweight bivy bag, might weigh like half a kilo. Or, or less than that, 300 grams. So it's, um, yeah, it does make a it do it does make a huge difference being able to get inside it. But I think maybe, maybe like everything in life, it's about managing your expectations. Like if you've seen, you know, it can be like like horrendously horrendous amount of condensation inside one of those inside one of those things. And if you imagined, you know, it's, it's said on the label it was going to be waterproof and breathable, and uh, very often it, it doesn't seem to breathe and it doesn't seem to be waterproof either. So you just, you just got to, you know, it's like, it's a, it's, 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 it's like tough. It's like a tough thing. 
what you're doing, you've just got to be tough. <laughs> I'm not complaining about a bit of condensation and having a wet sleeping bag. Um, you just be, just, just, be, just be ready for it. If you think it's going to be terrible and it's not, then, then that's even better. So, so yeah. So, right, I think my, my son will probably be waking up soon. So I shall go and uh, go and see how he's doing. My my oil has changed. My uh, the gears are sorted, and uh, hopefully I'll. I don't, probably not going to go out on the boat much for now because it's because uh, the weather's the weather's <laughs> you can hear the weather's turning. So anyway, until next time, over and out. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.